0: Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. 2020 has been a pretty creepy year. I'm sure all of you listening would agree to that. And it has the makings for the most blood-curdling horror movie. You have monstrous politicians killer viruses freaked out people wearing masks thinking that if another human being looks at them straight in the eyes they're gonna die much less if another human being touches them i mean forget about touch forget about giving hugs because we are living in the land of no hugs but it's october and it's my most favorite month of the year because Halloween is coming up. It's Halloween month, right? Feels like it's been Halloween year, but now we get to really celebrate Halloween. And we're kicking off our Halloween episodes this year with Killer Nurse. And John Fox John, who's the New York Times bestselling author of Killer Nurse, joins us today and he's going to be talking about true crime and how a licensed vocational nurse who was very sweet and people loved her for her smiles goes ahead and kills people by injecting chlorine bleach into their dialysis lines should be a totally fun episode you won't want to miss it but first a word from our sponsor
1: sequels some of them are good most of them are bad but on the sequels revenge podcast we're here to celebrate all things sequels host john coulomb and bill posley bring on a guest to talk about their favorite movies and then we pitch a sequel to it it's a sequel that nobody asked for but one that we'd like to see then we go away write the first five pages to the sequel bring in a table of actors to read it so if any of this sounds
0: appealing to you you should download sequels revenge podcast on itunes stitcher and google play stores And welcome to Nurses in Hypochondriacs, John Fox John.
1: Hi, glad I'm glad to be here.
0: <laughs> so you are the author of this book, Killer Nurse, which is a fascinating book. I just finished it last night. It's super cool. And it it took me through many peaks and valleys. But before we get into the book and why you wrote it. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, I'm a East Texas country boy. I was born and raised in deep East Texas, and We were born so far out in the country. I basically had to pump sunshine to us. And just, I grew up with nothing. And I decided at 17, I was gonna quit high school and go in the army without realizing there was a war going on. <laughs> so I wasn't real bright at the time, but that was probably the best decision I ever made. And from there, I I grew up, I was a readaholic, and there was a lot of things I wanted to be and a lot of things I wanted to do, and I've done them.
0: That is awesome. So you're also a private investigator, right? How did you get into that? A what? Were were you a private, were you an investigator?
1: I was not a private investigator. I was a homicide investigator. Homicide investigator. How did you get into homicide investigating? Well, uh, one of the things growing up I wanted to be was a cop. So I started out as a patrolman and worked my way up. I was a cop for 10 years. I was a homicide detective for four. I've actually investigated over 300 homicides.
0: Wow. And I'm sure you have many stories to tell. A few. (laughs) And so how did you get to tell the story of Killer Nurse?
1: I was a writer here in the left in writing fiction. And one day this case just popped up out of nowhere and it was so unique that I said as soon as it popped up I'm gonna write a book about this and from that moment on I started looking at everything involved and I'd never written a true crime before didn't know anything about how to start it or anything Fortunately, I have two really good friends. Had One of them died now. had two really good friends that were huge true crime authors. And I relied on them heavily. One of them is called the Queen of True Crime, and Rule. She helped me immensely. Yeah, true crime is
0: really hot right now. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, the, podcasts on true crime do so well Uh, i mean everybody that i hear that uh, or that i talk to a lot of people that i talk to i should say that are listening to podcasts or listening to true crime podcasts why do you think that is
1: people people just like to see and hear and read things that's true over fiction a lot of people do and it is hot. It's always been hot. But true crime is really, really hard to write. Really hard to
0: write. I can imagine, especially this case. Your writing is so detailed. As a writer myself, I was like, wow, he, you captured these characters in full form. I mean, down to the detail to one of the attorney's hair and the bald spot on his head, right? right. Which was, de- he was the defense attorney, correct? But. So let's go over Kim Sands. Is that how you say your name? Science. Sands. <laughs> the, Sands the killer nurse.
1: Yes. Sands. Sands. <laughs> Sands. S-I-G. Um, Sands.
0: Sands. Yeah. So she was a licensed vocational nurse. Yeah. L.V.N. She was an L.V.N. Working for. Devita a dialysis company, correct? Right. Yes, Devita. And all of a sudden she's convicted of killing multiple patients by injecting bleach into their dialysis lines. Right. Which killed a couple of them on the spot, right? It's oh, yeah. uh Yes. Had them go under cardiac arrest. Like several patients went under cardiac arrest. And it, it's just a phenomenal case because no one could believe that this nurse could kill her patients.
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily that they, did, they believed the nurse couldn't do it. It was more that they believed anybody would do it. This is the most unique crime in history. Never before has anybody ever been accused, charged, and convicted of killing people using bleach. The fact It wasn't the fact that a nurse would do it or she would do it. It's the fact that anyone would use bleach to kill someone. It was just so far out there that every time somebody heard it, they just couldn't believe it. The fact is, Kimberly signs very few people outside of her little community and her church and where she worked, knew anything about her. That's true, but she
0: she had a very prolific past, too. I mean, she was only a nurse for two years and had a few jobs that didn't work out for her, and then she gets this job at DeVita, and then... People say that she was unhappy. I think she talked about her personal life and um, infidelity with her husband. Like she was unhappy there. She was possibly going through a divorce. Her husband was in and out of jail. I mean, even Kim's brother had prior convictions, correct? He was in prison. So my thing is, I, I was reading your book and in this happens in the hospital realm or the healthcare realm because of the sometimes and that's what they said in the book that's why they hired her they really didn't do a background check I guess on her or when someone gets right. hired they did do a background check but through human resources they cannot tell you why this person was let go of correct
1: her. They only can tell you if they would rehire them or not. And she was actually being investigated, well, was scheduled to be investigated by the Texas Nursing Commission.
0: Oh, wow. And so they never did it?
1: They never did it. They, The second job she had was at a hospital here in Lufkin called Woodland Heights and she was fired from that job for stealing medicine and for giving patients medicine uh, pain painkillers that they wasn't right and they fired her and reported her to the state board of nursing but the state board of nursing hadn't got around to investigating it yet therefore It wasn't on her record. That's very
0: interesting because we're having these problems today. Uh, The Board of Registered Nursing in California as well as I saw Georgia. So their directors have just stepped down in both cases. The California Board of Registered Nursing, uh, an auditor went in and now they're being uh, suspected of committing fraud and hiding cases of nurses yeah. who uh, have been reported. So this is, this is really scary. And, and it, it is true to form today because this is what can happen. Patients yeah. can die for no reason, really.
1: Right. But when, when, DeVita, to- when Devita hired her, she had four no rehires. On her record. And that's all they, when Davida investigated her, that's all they knew that four places she had worked as a nurse wouldn't rehire her.
0: But they hadn't hired her
1: anyway. Yeah, because they really needed people.
0: Wow. So her background, because I I love how you paint a portrait of her background. You really take us on that journey of who Kim was and her family. I mean, I I love how you wrote the geography has a tendency to mold people. Angelina County was a blue collar. It's a blue collar
1: area, correct? Yes, very much so.
0: And her parents were young parents. Her mom worked at Walmart, Correct and her father worked for Peterbilt.
1: Right.
0: They were just very lower socioeconomic middle class. Uh, She had a brother. She seemed like to grow, they went to church, pretty basic background, but yet she started to uh, commit crime. I mean, before she went into nursing school, I don't think she had any criminal record. or she didn't, but her brother
1: did. She didn't have a criminal. Her Her first criminal record actually was after she was fired from the Vita. She was picked up for being drunk. Actually, she probably wasn't drunk. She was probably drugged up, but she was picked up for public intoxication. That's after she was fired from DeVita and while she was under investigation. Her second conviction was these murders and these uh, uh, aggravated assaults. So she basically had no criminal record at all. So there's a part
0: in the book where the page patients that were receiving dialysis actually saw Kim inject them with bleach and they didn't say anything they were like what is she doing and 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 they didn't do any they didn't say anything they didn't report her they didn't say anything to stop her I mean I, I think they were in disbelief that it was actually happening
1: they did say something oh
0: they did report her
1: I did yes
0: and, and so what happened with that? Nobody reprimanded Kim. Nobody talked to her. Nobody investigated the
1: situation. Yeah, they did. Uh, Davida did. Uh, the, thing, the thing about these two witnesses, when they saw her, Kim signed with their nurse. She was their nurse that day. And what they saw scared them to death. And they flagged down somebody else and told them. And when they told them, this person went to her supervisor. And the supervisor basically shut Kim down and sent her home for the day. They didn't really believe what the patients had said. They didn't. It was just too hard to believe the fact that a nurse was injecting somebody with bleach. But these two patients were very upset. And in order to get them calmed down, and because they were so upset, other patients were getting upset. So basically what they did, they went ahead and sent Kim Science home for the day. And then they called the police.
0: Oh, wow. And they also sent the patients to the hospital. They had, because yeah. the the director for DeVita right. had found out that something could have possibly happened, just sent them to the hospital, but didn't tell them why.
1: Right. Right.
0: It was just like, go get checked out.
1: That was more of a caution because they still really uh- didn't believe it. It answered a lot of questions. It really did. It answered a lot of questions what had been going on there. But they still really didn't believe it.
0: Right. I think throughout this whole case, no one believed it. That's what it feels like to me, the way that you wrote it. There was a lot of disbelief.
1: At the beginning, yes.
0: At the beginning, even though there was evidence to show, even though the people came forward and were testifying. I mean, let's talk about this attorney, Denton, that was hired to defend Kim. I I mean, he he seems like a little bit of a charlatan. Isn't that what they were describing him? Or you described him as a little bit. Like, Uh, like, yes, And, and. he seemed to me when I was watching when I was reading him or actually watching him I was there tell you teleported me as Stephen King says to that courtroom and so I was watching him he reminded me of a circus big top guy you know the the ringmaster
1: right yeah uh you know she had he was doing
0: and it was was, she had two attorneys, right? right? But Denton, for some reason, popped out to me more. Like, he was the more pronounced character of all of them.
1: He was the lead attorney. He, he's the one that she actually paid. The other one, the state paid. In a death penalty case, you have to have an attorney that's certified as a death penalty specialist. Deaton wasn't. So the state had to provide an attorney there that was. But Kim Sines wanted Deaton. She wanted him to be the head of this. And one of the reasons is he promised her he'd get her off. The uh, state attorney told, looked at everything and said, you need to plea this out. Deaton was telling her, I can get you off. <laughs> now the funny thing about this whole thing, well it's never none of it was ever funny about it. No. But during the after the trial, I spent eight hours with the jury, eating pizza and drinking wine, <laughs> all of us there talking. And at the end of this eight hours, I wasn't certain who they hated the most, the the serial killer who was on trial or her attorney. Right. They absolutely hated D. And if I was on trial for my life, the last thing I would want is a jury hating my attorney. They didn't believe anything he said. And they didn't even know that the judge had called him a liar and deceitful in open court. They didn't know that, (laughs) so, you know.
0: Yeah, like like I said, he's a very good flawed character. Yeah. (laughs) The best characters are always flawed. I mean, we love to hate those characters. That's why he's so interesting on how you wrote about him.
1: Well, he helped me a whole lot in this because to write a true crime, you need a hero, he need at least one villain right he provided me two needless to say we don't get along now
0: <laughs> oh my gosh gotcha. yeah but uh, the way you wrote it i mean he uh, you you did show him as a great villain uh and i do teach writing and like i said i was like oh he's so into and it just and like I said, the peaks and the valleys. My thing was when he showed one of the patients as being, uh, I mean, here she is a victim, but he's kind of instigating that yeah. she created something, the chewing gum lady. He's all like, do you ever chew gum? And she said, no. And he's like, well, when they revived you, they found chewing gum in your esophagus, right?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's like oh my gosh, how did he just turn that around? It, it, it was just it was so sad. Yeah, I, was, I mean, there was, was so many guy.
1: lies going on in court. He he instigated so many lies that the jury didn't trust anything he said.
0: Well, even his witnesses, his expert witnesses that he brought up, oh, with, wow. with the physician who was the dialysis expert who after was against Davida
1: and now then exactly. yeah.
0: yes and then also the other woman who was the uh, toxicologist was she the toxicologist or the the one who was talking about exhuming bodies and um, yeah, yeah. And she didn't even know that these bodies were cremated.
1: Yeah. They called her, the young, that young district attorney, actually he wasn't a district attorney, he was a federal prosecutor, but he caught her in so many lies. Of course, when it's an expert witness, it's not a lie. It's a mistake. If you and I were on the stand, we would be facing perjury charges. Right. But her, it was just mistakes. And he caught, he caught her in so many, quote, mistakes that it was just unreal.
0: Man. And basically, what they were trying to do with this trial is turn it around and make it look like Davida was to yeah. blame for everything and that Kim, the nurse, was the scapegoat. Right. And so they were looking at all their policies and they really tried hard. And I guess, of course, they weren't successful. But the interesting thing of all this was, there's many interesting facets. I mean, Kim's family literally drained their whole income. And their savings and everything, they were left penniless to pay for Denton, this attorney. And even though they were told there's less than a 3% chance of of Kim getting off. Yeah. also, Kim, and, and, and there have been other healthcare professionals who have committed crimes very similar to Kim's. Uh, Charles Graber was an author that we had on the show, and he was talking about the nurse Charles Cullen, who was one of the most prolific killers. But he, he confessed that he did kill over 400 people in a nine-year span, and it was because he was mad at the system but Kim had no motive and she didn't confess, which was a huge problem with all of this and very expensive to the taxpayers, correct?
1: Yeah, the fact that she didn't confess, but having no motive is really not a problem because prosecutors don't have to prove motive. That has never been part of a homicide investigation or a trial motive. It's...
0: Right, because a lot of these people who go ahead and commit these crimes are sociopathic or psychopathic, and really, uh, they just kill to kill or do what they do to do. I mean, everybody wants to know why. Why mm-hmm. did it happen? Yeah, and be. there is no
1: why. No, and if you actually understood, knew the why, you wouldn't understand it because these people are sick. Kimberly Sines was sick and she was, and I've heard all this angel of mercy and all this stuff. She wasn't an angel of mercy. These people wouldn't die. She was just killing to be killing. She was, and the DA, and unless somebody like this actually tells you why, you just have to guess. The DA's guess was, and it's probably a fairly good one, that she was just so miserable, she was just taking it out on patients. But I went a step further. I looked at the type of patients she was killing. Dialysis patients, for the most part, are old, they're sick, they're cranky, they're hard to get along with, She wasn't killing those. She was killing the model patients, the ones that everybody loved. It's interesting. And I came to the conclusion she was so miserable that she was killing people who wasn't as miserable as her.
0: Huh. I like that theory. I think you're right on with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Miss Few was 91 years old. When she died, when Kimberly Signs killed her, she was ninety-one years old. At the trial, Miss Few's sister was there, and she was one hundred. There's a really good chance that Miss Few would have lived quite a bit. Of age, you know, uh, all of these patients, the ones she killed and ones she attempted to kill, especially the ones she attempted to kill, lived several years. There's one that's still alive. These patients wouldn't in in misery. She was just killing to be killing.
0: And also on her computer, she left a song. Yeah. I got away with murder. Uh, Yes. Which is so creepy.
1: Yeah. And I loved how you put that in there. The computer is what really convicted her.
0: Right, and it totally wrapped up your book where it was like, wow. Yeah. And I could see that as a movie with that song playing in the end. So did you sit in the courtroom during this trial?
1: I was in the courtroom for every second of it. Vor was three weeks long. And I was in Vor for every second of it. So the trial was four weeks long, and I basically spent every second of seven weeks in the courtroom.
0: Can you go ahead and explain a little bit about about Vordar? Because I was reading it, and um, I have not – I've probably been in court like once or twice. I did do some legal nurse consulting, but I I was reading it, and I I was trying to get a grasp. If you go ahead and explain it, I think I could get a better –
1: Uh, Ward-Dyer is basically jury selection. Usually they bring all the jurors in the courtroom and both attorneys talk to them. In a capital murder case, which this was, they have the option of interviewing those jurors individually, a prospective jurors individual, and that's what they did in this case. They would bring a juror in and each side would have about about 30 minutes to question them and it was just that juror sitting in that prospective juror sitting in there and both sides talking to him. and uh the person handling the voir dire for Kimberly signs was not deaton that was a uh, stephen Thom- thomas and he's he's a really good attorney but uh he handled Lord Dyer for them, and of course Clyde Harrington did it for the prosecution. But it went on for three weeks in jury selection. Interesting.
0: How long did it take you to write this book? <laughs>
1: uh, that's a that was a really good one. Uh, the trial ended in April, and I had to have the manuscript in the Penguin in August. Wow. So you already had a book deal. Yes. Excellent. Good job. But the problem was I had interviewed zero people. None. And the only thing, uh, right after the trial, the only thing I had was my notes. And I took, I think, four notebooks, sitting writing, four notebooks full, of notes, I had that and no witnesses, no interviews. So between April and August, I interviewed two hundred and thirty-seven people. Wow! And I wrote the manuscript. <laughs> and a lot of days, I worked eighteen hours a day.
0: I can imagine it is. It is a very very detailed book. You know, I I could tell how much work you put into it.
1: I spent four years, though. I spent four years before the trial working on things. First, I had to learn how to write true crime, which is totally different than fiction. And two, one of the smartest things I did I realized that there was gonna be a lot of science involved in this. And I knew nothing about dialysis, nothing. So I started studying dialysis, the sciences behind it and everything, because yeah, I thought if I got bogged down in trial, then I would bog the readers down with it. And I was correct in that, there was a tremendous amount of science involved in this and I was able basically because I understood, I'm not going to say, I don't understand it like a nurse, but I understand the basic concepts of it. So I was able to be able to filter through all the science and just put what was important.
0: And I think you had a very good grasp of that as nurse, with a background, but also it's readable for anyone that in the non-medical profession, right. our non-healthcare profession. So it's a great grasp. You say writing true crime is different from fiction. Can you go ahead and explain a little bit about that? Because I do have lots of my writers listen to these podcasts, uh, writers that I do teach on my storytelling courses, The Well-Written Nurse. Right. and. Some of them may be interested in the true crime.
1: I get this all, I actually get this question all the time. What is the difference between fiction and true crime? Writing books, whether it's fiction or true, uh, nonfiction, true crime is all about characterization. That's it, it's characterization. Uh, when you write, when good fiction writers write a book, They create a character. They create that character from the head down. Everything. It's a living, that character becomes a living, breathing, human person. And that's the essence of writing. It's creating that character. In true crime, you have to have the same amount of characterization. But it has to be true. It can't be something you made up. You have to know these characters so well that you can do it without embellishing. And that's why I interviewed 237 people. (laughs) Yeah. That's the hard part because really... I sat down like this over a not the same format for a week before Penguin approved the manuscript. I sat down for a week with a team of Penguin lawyers and they went over every word in that manuscript to make sure that I couldn't be sued or Penguin couldn't be sued. It had to be true. Most of the things they changed were uh qualifiers. For instance, I said I originally said I sat down with all the jurors in that in that meeting after the trial with Pete and Wynn. And one of the things that was question that was asked by the lawyer was every single juror was there, including the alternates. And my answer was no, there was one alternate that wasn't there. They said, well, you can't say all. <laughs> you know, things like that. That was basically the things they had to change. I had to change. Wow. And they're right, you know, all of them wasn't there because one of them wasn't. Right, and that person could
0: say, well, not all of them. Yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I mentioned in my email, I had sent you the articles of a situation that happened to me back in 1997, where I was working at a hospital with an angel of death scenario. And I remember this individual, his name is Efren Saldivar, who is now serving time, uh, infinity, I think, in prison. And he was was a respiratory therapist and he was killing his patients and he was killing the older ones. So he was very meticulous in who he picked. And one of the reasons that he was killing people was to Uh, make his caseload of patients better, easier. And I remember working there. I was a brand new nurse. I was about 24, 25 years old. And we used to have a lot of code blues, which at that time in hospitals, they would sound an alarm, a certain alarm, which would make everybody rush to a certain room to where a patient was having a cardiac arrest or near, or death situation whichever it was and we used to have a lot of them at this hospital and as a a new nurse I, i asked my colleagues like why do we have so many code blues sounds strange and it was the end of the year and they're like oh a lot of people die at the end of the year that's just what happens and it was really weird how people would rationalize all these strange things and i and i would work with this respiratory therapist like he'd come in and see my patients and give them their treatments. And he was just odd. He bugged me something about him. And and I have a very strong intuition. And I've done this many, many times where I've called out the perp (laughs) and nobody believes me. I'm like, that person is weird. Something's wrong with him. And they're like, oh, he's so nice. What are you talking about? And this happens all the time. What is up with that? Why don't people believe me?
1: Yeah, Kim, Kim signed didn't get along with her uh, and other employees. They, I think, I even think a couple of them suspected something. They never said anything and they never really went to anybody with it and they didn't testify about it, but I'll always believe a couple of them suspected something. She was a miserable, miserable person.
0: Yeah. Usually these people are, and they're doing a lot of very strange things behind the scenes.
1: She was a nurse who didn't want to take care of patients. All she wanted to do was be the medication nurse. She didn't actually want to really interact with the patients that take care of them. Huge
0: red flag. Yeah. I mean, I I have had people tell me that as well Is I don't like patient care. I'm like, don't get into nursing. Yeah. (laughs) Simple as that. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. This has been a a very fun discourse. Love the book. I loved how you talked about writing. This will help anybody that's wanting to write true crime out. And if people want to buy your book, Killer Nurse, where can they find it? I mean, it's a perfect read for October. We're going into Halloween season.
1: I uh, can find it at any bookstore, Amazon.com, anywhere. If, you know, if the bookstore doesn't have it, they can order it or any place.
0: And if people would like to get into contact with you, do you have a Facebook site?
1: Uh, they can send it to my email it's a john fox john at yahoo.com john fox john all one word lowercase at yahoo.com
0: excellent and we'll go ahead and put that information on in our show notes thank you once again and here, this uh kicks off our first halloween episode for this season all
1: right, right. thank you so much thank you appreciate it
0: Thanks for listening to our Nurses in Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses in HypoCon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com.